I confess, I think bacon and sex would mix well. Yeah. Challenge accepted. Challenge. Babe, where are you? Sex. Almost everybody does it, and almost nobody talks about it, except at Bedpost Confessions, a live storytelling series based in Austin, Texas. Whether the performers are funny, informative, political, or completely personal, the anonymous confessions from the audience are the stars of every show. Stories heard at Bedpost Confessions explore themes of sexuality, gender identity, dating, marriage, masturbation, breakups, health and wellness, and more. Whether the story is hysterical or downright emotionally raw, we hope Bedpost Confessions will either spark a fantasy or start a conversation. Maybe even both. Longing. That's what she felt when we spent time together, she said. Longing for my long legs and my hips. Longing for my ass. She longed for my delicate ankles, my thin fingers, my girlish voice. She longed for the gentle slope of my neck, its continuous line unbroken by an Adam's apple. Mistress Katie longed to be me. I had just started working at the Dominion, a dungeon in West L.A., about three months earlier. As part of my training to become a dominatrix at the Dominion, the ladies, as we were known, uh, we were all required to start as professional submissives, which I know that most folks, especially in this room, are pretty familiar with the concept of a professional dominatrix. A professional submissive is when a client comes in and um, he would pay me to, to top me in heavily negotiated sessions, which would be, you know, all kinds of things. No sex was allowed, no nudity, no penetration, but really like any kind of beatings that I would consent to um, you know, bondage, if I was comfortable and safe enough, I was pretty picky about who I would let tie me up. Um, mostly it was run-of-the-mill stuff, being spanked, being flogged, um, being beaten to different degrees, and, um, and that's what a professional submissive does, is gets paid to do that, and we would do that as part of our training to become a dominatrix so that we would know um, how to get someone into the headspace, or how to really fuck that up. Um, <laughs> And usually that's, you know, how, how you would learn. Um, so when Mistress Katie first came to see me, I didn't really know what we were doing in session together, as she didn't really seem interested in S&M, although she went by Mistress Katie. She did bring a riding crop into session, like one simple riding crop, and she sometimes held it, but she never used it on me. She said that she just wanted to talk, and she wanted to be girlfriends. Now, sometimes I would have sessions with cross-dressers, and they would say they wanted to be girlfriends and they meant like can we go down on each other like that but but this was not code for that like she wanted to be girlfriends and this first session was awkward a little bit and um and it was gentle as i was a brand new professional sub and so what we would negotiate beforehand in session i would go into session with the idea of what was going to happen but this there was no real direction to it and i didn't really know how to top from the bottom when i didn't really know what my top wanted so we, we went in to the room and she asked me to look in the mirror and she told me that she thought I was beautiful and um, she told me that I should be grateful for, be be for being beautiful and she told me not to take anything about myself for granted and in that hour nothing much more transpired. A month passed and I was becoming more accustomed to, be to bottoming commercially. And there's a lot to get accustomed to. Um, I had I'd gotten over 
you know, in over my head in a handful of sessions, taking heavier beatings than I was ready to handle either physically or emotionally, you know, on any given day. Um, I'd learned my limits, um, usually by having them bulldozed, sometimes just accidentally or clumsily, um, sometimes by design. There is certainly clients who, who would push it, um, you know, intentionally a lot. <laughs> and, um, and I became more adept at setting boundaries with my clients too. Things like, no, you may not give me an over the knee spanking with your pants off. And, um, and no, I'm not allowed to become completely nude. And more importantly, I learned to swiftly read my clients. We would go into, um, into like an interview room for about five minutes. And I've explained this before in here and I apologize if you have to hear it again. And we would go in for about five minutes. You kind of find out like what they want, what they don't want. And, and then you go into session and, <laughs> When I first started my first week, I started in that setting a little bit older. And so a lot of the women didn't, I was probably in my early thirties, which is older to start in that, um, in that environment. And so I wasn't as threatening to some of the other women. So some of them did take me under their wing and probably the, um, the best piece of advice I ever got was someone who never gave anyone advice. And she said, if anything seems off in that interview, they may say all the right things, but if anything seems off, if anything makes you feel uncomfortable, don't do it because that $100, or I think at the time I made $80 an hour or 60 or something, um, that, you know, that money will be gone within a week. But what was done to you in that room, you'll remember forever. And, and it was very good advice. And so you really learn to trust your gut in that environment. And so um, I learned to swiftly read my clients. So often within seconds of them first entering the room, I would know whether or not I would be safe with them. Like, do I want to be alone in the room? with this person. And by the way, like in a commercial dungeon, if you're not working, you're not making money. If you're taking a nap out back, that's not hours that you're paid for. So turning down sessions does, you know, it does cost you money. But, um, but you know, we, we learned to turn down sessions and um, we'd always say like, okay, you turn it down, but something better will come in and then you cross your fingers. So um, yeah, often within seconds of them entering the interview room, I'd know whether or not I'd be safe with them. How staunchly I'd have to keep my guard up and whether or not I, you know, even wanted a session with them at all. They often didn't really even need to say anything. It would just get kind of an energetic imprint from them. Um, unsurprisingly, you know, so that's the context in which I was working. Um, the second time Mistress Katie came to see me, I felt fucking relieved. And to be honest, I was relieved because I would be making money for that hour off of someone who didn't trigger my guards, and off of someone I wasn't particularly afraid of. So, you know, as I said, if we weren't working, we weren't making any money. And this was my only job. This is how I paid the rent and supported my son, who was in elementary school at the time. And um, so often we would take sessions that we didn't particularly like to pay the bills. Um, probably every day I took at least one session that I didn't enjoy whatsoever. Um, so to, you know, a, harmless client for a professional submissive it's not just easy money it's like for an hour you're taken off of the market and you can relax and it's it's very wonderful and um, so for this sec se second session mistress katie arrived a little more prepared she had more of a take charge air about her and she expressed specific preferences she'd booked lady laura's lair it's a room in the dungeon dedicated to femaleness this room in the dungeon, it's a bit over top for my taste. It's um, Lady Laura's la lair was decorated kind of like a boudoir. It had animal print pillows and drapes and a vanity and a dressing room fit for like, a, you know, Zsa Zsa Gabor. And um, 
And so Mistress Katie and I would try on different dresses and we'd talk about stockings and garters and body hair removal, which would become, of course, one of her favorite topics. And, um, and of the different women I worked with at the dungeon, I was the least adept at makeup artistry and hairstyling. And so Mistress Katie would like to offer advice and opinions and just kind of like girlfriends. So, but still, I didn't really know what to do with her. Like, I didn't know, is she a cross-dresser? Does she want me to humiliate her? You're a panty slut. Like, I didn't really, and I was, and I was a, a, a commercial sub, so I couldn't really do that. And, and so, um, after the second and third session, or, you know, I spoke to Dorian, who uh, was the dungeon manager. She didn't take sessions, but she was very insightful. And I, I didn't really know how to navigate my role in this scenario. I wanted Mistress Katie to feel comfortable. She went by Mistress, and I was a commercial sub, so really she kind of needed to be in the role of a top. And so Dorian and I talked about this, and we decided that my best stance would be that to take, um, I just fucked up sentence up, but anyway, I was supposed to be Mistress Katie's pet. We decided kind of taking the role as a, of a pet would be good. So when she would come in, and as a commercial sub in the dungeon, we would have to sit on, um, We'd kneel on cushions in the front room. And um, the mistress is, you know, you don't get to sit in the chair until you're a full dominatrix. So um, so when Mistress Katie would come in, you know, I'd sit at her feet politely and, uh, and wait on her. Do you want something to drink? And so, uh, you know, we never called me her pet, but that's how I behaved. So as she continued to session with me once a month, it was always on a Friday morning, and right when we opened for business at 10 a.m., she would be there, and her look was always the same. She had this solid black wrap dress, kind of like a, a Diane von Furstenberg knockoff. She didn't wear stockings, but she wore pantyhose. Like, if I'm almost 44, like pantyhose are what my mom used to wear in the 70s, and um, probably like control top. And um, <laughs> she wore like pretty unremarkable shoes, and she, she didn't pass. She looked like a man in in very clumsy drag. She was not one bit, you know, a stereotypically glamorous drag queen. She, you know, didn't pass. But her nails were like painstakingly manicured on these Fridays. And her wig was kind of terrible, but I know that I know that it was the most expensive one that she could manage. And I never asked where she stored her women's clothing or her wig or her makeup because I knew and she had confided in me that her wife and children only knew her as a man. So she didn't store these things in her home. So, um, and this would happen once a month, these Friday morning sessions. And we would laugh a little bit and we'd talk a lot. But the, the sessions generally had a very somber tone and they were never erotically charged. Um, Mistress Katie's wife and teenage children only knew her as a man, as I said, and she had made an uneasy peace with that situation. This one hour a month we spent together was the only time she really felt like she could really be the woman that she felt that she was. Um, she didn't feel like she could share this with her family, but she didn't want to risk losing them. It, and she also didn't want to hurt them, and she felt it had been so many years, and they might feel like they never really knew her. I myself had just gotten out of a nine-month relationship with a transgendered man who had started testosterone and he had um, undergone top surgery. So the risks involved in transitioning were familiar to me, even though if I couldn't personally relate, I certainly had um, was aware of them on a personal level. And um, and I also just I had my own struggles. I was pretty new to Los Angeles. I was striving to create a home for myself, and my my son was young then. I think he was in like the fourth grade or something. And um, and it was an, an you know Los Angeles 
like I'd lived in, you know, cities before, but Los Angeles is very big to me as an adult and raising a kid and felt a little overwhelmed. And I was adjusting to the double life of working in the sex industry while keeping a secret from my, my Catholic family. And, um, and which isn't part of my kink, by the way, there's, a, there's like, we used to joke like, oh, some of our clients in LA, they're all Catholics or Jews or Brits. Like that's what it was. <laughs> Like that, um, but anyway, I don't have any, you know, like kinks having to do with being raised Catholic, but uh, hi, where was I? And um, oh yeah, so I kept it from my family. I was serious a lot. Like people used to point out that I would just sit in the, the, the parlor, which was like the front room of the dungeon and I would just sigh heavily. And I had a lot on my mind and, um, and Mistress Katie and I would come to call these sessions over time our shared sanctuary. And our sessions kind of started to say this, stay the same. They didn't really progress uh, month after month. Um, I did progress. I progressed through the ranks of the Dominion. I eventually became a switch and started taking switch sessions. And then eventually I became a full dominatrix and, and only took topping sessions. And all the dungeon had very strict rules about um, tops taking bottoming sessions. I continued to session with Mistress Katie as our um, activities didn't really fit into an S&M category other than I called her Mistress Katie. I continued to feel relief when she would show up, relief that I'd be spending an hour with someone who only um, needed one thing from me. She just needed for me to let her be herself. 17 months into our acquaintance, Mistress Katie came to a session distraught she was being transferred away to um, to a job outside of Los Angeles, and she'd be, you know, of course, taking her family with her. And we exchanged email addresses. During that last session, I asked if I could brush her hair. Her wig, oh my God. You know, I like, I can only imagine that it was maybe stored in the back of her car, and it was usually kind of ratty, and it made her always appear disheveled, which really pained me because she, would be act very proper. And so I know that it the wig didn't fit with how she wanted to see herself. And Dorian, the dungeon manager, would be like, God, that fucking wig. Like what <laughs> but uh, what do you what do you say about it? And so um so uh, in that last session, being you know the pet, I uh I, I sat on top of the bondage table and she took a seat below me in a folding chair. I asked her, you know, if I could brush her hair. I positioned a full-length mirror. We had a lot of mirrors. Um, you know, they, they say that men are visual, so there are a lot of mirrors in the dungeon. And um, I positioned a full-length mirror in front of us. So both, of, you know, I was behind her sitting on the bondage table. She's sitting below. We're both facing the mirror. And um, I spent 45 minutes working through, like, these little knots. It's funny. My hair is like that. I'm just, I have the most ungroomed hair. I'm always, like, tearing through the knots. So I have experience with this. And... Um, I worked through the small knots in her wig, and we had the, this wig conditioner that I would spray into it, and, um, and it would soften the waves. And she looked really, really beautiful, and, and she didn't know when she'd see herself that way again. And, um, and she moved away, and I did hear from her once, um, maybe six months later, and that was it. She didn't say how she was doing. She didn't even say you know where she was living or if they'd fully left California yet. She um, she emailed to tell me that she thought that I should consider waxing my legs <laughs> rather than shave them because she'd heard or read on the internet that um, that the hair would grow back softer and more slowly. 
And she sent me links to several like high profile waxing studios in Los Angeles that she thought I might want to visit, giving me advice, just like a girlfriend. Thank you. Bed Piss Confessions is produced by Julie Gillis, Mia Martina, and Sadie Smythe. Audio production is by Ian Danskin. You don't have to attend a show to confess. With our confession scroller, you can confess with us anytime on our site at bedpostconfessions.com. Also pick up a copy of our anthology, Bed Piss Confessions, Real Sex, Real People, Real Stories, which features 35 stories and hundreds of audience confessions. Bed Piss Confessions, the anthology, found on Amazon in print and ebook. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and if you have a sec, please help bring Bedpost Confessions to more people by rating the podcast. You know how it works. More ratings and reviews equals higher podcast ranking equals more confessions. Thanks for your support, and until next time, we will leave you with a few other confessions from the audience. All right, I confess. When I first moved to Austin... I left my vibrator behind and had to fuck a soda bottle to hold me over. I don't know the mechanics of this one. It's got a fatty arbuckle reference going on. I'm just freaking out. Oh, you know. Come on, you were thinking it. I confess, the first time I knew I liked girls was when I found my dad's porn stash when I was 12. No gender specified. I confess, my boyfriend is finally opening up more, and we finally had sex in the garage. Now here's my question. Is this a euphemistic garage, or the actual garage? Who knows? Either way, good job.